Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the Watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Well, hey, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and open up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29. Proverbs 29. We've been in a series called Chasing Ghosts, where we're looking at this um, relentless pursuit of things that we feel like if we can just take hold of and attain, then somehow we'll have happiness. Two weeks ago, we looked at chasing uh, popularity, chasing influence, chasing fame, if you will, and how if somehow we could just have that, then, then maybe we'll feel satisfied, maybe we'll feel fulfilled. Last week, uh, we looked at chasing money. And this idea that if I can get more money, more riches, more wealth, uh, this grind, hustle, whatever it takes to build the bank account, somehow we'll be happy, somehow we'll be satisfied. And how that uh, is this ghost that you can't really take hold of. Nothing's ever really enough. Today what I want to look at is uh, this desperate chase for approval. A desperate chase to be liked by people. Now, I know most of us would not admit, you know what, I really want to be liked by people. I really want people to look at my life or look at me and say, yep, you're good enough. Yep, I like you. Or yep, I, I actually, yep, I love you. But the truth is mo- most of us, most of us deal with this insecurity of, of wanting to be liked. I remember back when I was in uh, sixth grade and my best friend got a girlfriend. Now, these were waters we had not navigated before, right? Like, we hung out, played Nintendo, played, like, backyard football, and that was our world. I didn't care about females at the time. And I remember Richard got a, a girlfriend, and I was thinking, man, this is, this is crazy. I need a girlfriend, too. And he thought I needed a girlfriend, too. So here I am in sixth grade, and I was like, all right, let's take a pick. If I got to pick a girlfriend, which one do I want? Her name was Jennifer. And I remember writing the note, because back then we wrote notes. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, like, social media. You couldn't send, like, a Facebook message. Couldn't snap somebody. It was like you had to man up and write a note. Some of y'all remember. And I remember writing this note. Jennifer, do you like me? Question mark. And there were three boxes. One box was yes. One box was no. But y'all know the third box, right? Maybe. Because maybe meant I had a chance, right? Maybe she's having a bad day. It left the window. And I, I remember writing this note down, folding it up, and, and I didn't give it directly to her. I had to pass it through a friend. And then there was just this waiting, like deathly waiting. Will I get it back? What will she say? Who all will know? And I remember getting the note back at the end of the day, and when I opened it up, I was so expectant. Maybe it was just pride. I was like, I'm going to get a yes. I'm going to have a girlfriend. And I opened that thing up, and by God, if she didn't say no. And I, at sixth, sixth grade, you know, I'm 12 years old. I'm just, I'm heartbroken. I'm like, this, I'd never felt that before in my life, to not really be 
for somebody to tell me they don't like me, you know? And, and I think about that in contrast to what we have to deal with today, right? Because I think about Instagram or Facebook, social media, and, and it's pretty clear who likes or doesn't like your stuff, right? Um, like there's, there's if, if you put something on Instagram today, let's just say, how many of you guys have like social media accounts? Just put your hand up real quick, real quick, okay. Vast majority of the room. Some of you are like, I don't do that. Government's monitoring that, and they are. Um, you're just more confident than the rest of us. But if you put a post on Instagram or Facebook today, you know that you see who likes it or how many likes you get, right? Like it's something that you pay attention to. And, and there's this, this pressure of, being liked, whether you have a, a social account or not, in life, there's this pressure of being liked or approved by people. And it's, I think the pressure is higher now than really it ever has been. And the expectations are higher now than they ever have been. For instance, summer's coming, y'all. Sun's out, right? And so as summer gets closer, there's going to be this push. You'll see it everywhere to have like a beach body, right? You got to get in shape. Why? Because you got to look a certain way. Right? You don't want to be wearing a t-shirt in the pool. Okay? Well, and if you do, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that's just facts. Did y'all know, did y'all know there's a Photoshop, there's a tool called Liquify? You know what I'm talking about? And y'all listen, the, the tools are actually trickling down from Photoshop into some of these filters on social media. Um, Liquify, you literally can take a picture of yourself and, and, and put like a circle on it and liquefy that part of your body. Here's what it means. That part of your body is now moldable. So you, you can liquefy your waistline, and bring it in like four inches. You're like, yeah, I like that. Or you can take it up to your biceps and you can liquefy your shoulders and arms a little bit, swell them up. I like that, right? You can make yourself look a certain way and people don't necessarily know. Here's the problem. Most of us compare ourselves up against images like that of other people. And we think I'm not good enough or I don't meet the expectation. Or let's take it another way. Um, how many of you have Pinterest? Listen, there's four words that every husband hates to hear. I saw this on Pinterest. Used to be you just painted a room. Now you got to put up like uh, shiplap and wainscope and it's all this decorative stuff. Why? Because somebody put it on Pinterest and now you have to create that same thing in your house. And it's like, baby, that's an 18-foot cathedral ceiling. We got a nine-foot ceiling with carpet. It ain't going to work. Saw it on Pinterest. I have to do it, right? It's crazy. Uh, I think about our wedding album. Ashley and I, we got married back in 2003. This is before cool photography came into the mix. So our kids make fun of us because of our wedding album. We're, we're standing in a church, like most other weddings, you know, pre-cool photography. Everybody lined up, got the candles behind us. Now, you know, you got a bride and a groom, girls in her dress, you know, running on the ocean and stuff, frolicking through a field with sunflowers. It's amazing. It's like, and so the, 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 the comparison and the expectations, like, man, we, we didn't have that kind of wedding. It's weird. Or uh, birth announcements. Can we talk about that for a second? Back in the day, it was like, hey, mom, dad, we're having a boy. Now, it's like, you got to shoot some kind of exploding target. And it's like, boom, it's blue. Yeah, and everybody sees it. Y'all, everything is over the top. It's crazy. And if you don't have little kids, you're going to find out when you do, the parties are over the top and they're more expensive. Like a one-year-old birthday party, just get a cupcake, put a candle in it. No, 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 no. 
Here's my, here's my point. We, we all live in this world of like expectation, of comparison, of approval, and these things that we do, we think somehow if I do that, then I'll look like the best husband, or I'll look like the best parents, or I'll look like, and, and, and we try to get approval from people's opinions of us. Here's what King Solomon said in Proverbs 29. It's a great verse to just memorize. Proverbs 29, verse 25. He said, the fear of man lays a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. The fear of man is a trap, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Let me put it in in terms we can understand today. The opinion, if you chase the opinion of people, it's a trap. But if you trust God's opinion of you, it's secure. If you chase people's opinion of you, it it's, it's, leaves you guessing, it makes you paranoid, makes you wonder, am I good enough, do I measure up? If you, if you hold on to God's opinion and view of you, it's secure. you got nothing to worry about. I'll give you an example. Um, i got two traps up here. They're rat traps, not mouse traps. Y'all know the difference? Some of you are like, I've had a mouse trap. You ain't had a rat trap. Go live downtown, you'll get a rat trap. Uh, they're, they're set, okay? Now, what I want to do, and I'm not going to ask for a volunteer because I had somebody crazy enough in the first service to run up here. Just in case you wonder, I promise they're set. This is a pencil. That's what it, It's real, okay? Real talk. So I'm going to put one in here. Yep, hold your breath, please, Lord. I told the first service, I was asking the Lord, please don't let it go off because I got a microphone and we got cameras. And I don't want to say something that would cause y'all to leave this church forever. <laughs> so, and I got $100, okay? It's $100. Now, it's all in the bag, okay? So, I decided instead of asking for a volunteer, because we had somebody run up in the first service, and I was like, I can't allow you to put your hand in the bag. What I will do is, I'm going to blindfold, and if I, if I pull out the 100, right, then I'll give it to somebody on the front row. Y'all cool with that? Okay. Y'all gonna let me do this? Y'all gonna let me do this for real? Nah? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I ain't crazy. Uh, here's... The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man is a trap. Whoever trusts the Lord is safe. I think that God, in his plan, says, I got great things for you in this life if you'll follow me and you'll trust me. But we say, okay, I'm in. But then we start worrying about what everybody says about us, what the opinions are about us. Am I good enough? Do I measure up? And what happens is we go through life and tend to compromise who it is that God's called us to be. And and we end up scared and paranoid and anxious and stressed out. And there's all this pressure in our lives. And we ask ourselves, where where is that coming from? Where is that actually coming from? Chasing approval does a couple things. I want to just move through these pretty quick and then look at a story in the New Testament. Uh, the first thing that I believe that chasing approval or chasing opinions of people does for us is this. One, it, it leads us to have irrational fears of rejection. Irrational fears of rejection. Y'all know what irrational fear is, right? There's, there's some things to be afraid of. Would you agree? We had a copperhead in our garage several months ago. 
Good to be afraid of that. You don't want to walk out in the garage and be like, "Mm, the Lord is with me, I'm not worried. That's dumb. Be afraid of a snake. Irrational is this. Irrational is, uh, we went to Carowinds as a family. Roller coasters, right? And I'm I'm there with my two sons. I'm not going to tell you which one. You can ask them. They're in the service. But we we were at at Carowinds, and I'm like, let's go. We, We can ride this ride as much as we want. We're here early. Not a lot of people there. And there was... A tremendous amount of fear, I'm not getting on the roller coaster. And I'm like, okay, let's talk through this. Because when's the last time you saw the story of one flying off the tracks? Right? Like, you got the, the chest harness. You see people coming off the ride. They're laughing. They're having a good time. You see a little picture taken in the TVs. But it's like, no, we're going to die. Like, we're not getting on the roller coaster. Right? And some of you are like, hey, it has happened. It happens at those little circus or carnival things that come to the fairgrounds. I get that. And, but I'm talking about at Carowinds. And I'm like, it's safe. Like, it's completely safe. Nope, not going. We'll not do it. Eventually, they got on the ride, but it took some pleading. That afternoon, we're driving back from Carowinds on I-26. I'm going 80 miles an hour down the road. There's tractor trailers everywhere. And those same two boys sound asleep. And the question is, why do they feel more safe in the car with me driving by tractor trailers? There's much more auto accidents, we know this, than there are roller coaster accidents. But you see this big machine and you see the speed and you hear the screaming and the thought is something bad's gonna happen it's irrational the fear is irrational here's my point the behavior of them sitting on the wall not wanting to get on the ride was because of this fear that wasn't even real now when we chase people's approval or opinion of us it it leads us to some crazy behavior i would say even extreme behavior for instance, eating disorders. You go, why, why would someone ever walk through anorexia or bulimia? Why would they ever withhold food from themselves or go on these binges? It's, it's because they're so concerned and consumed by other people's opinion of them. I think about workaholics, people that a 40-hour work week is not enough. They'll work 60 hours or 70 hours or 80 hours a week. Why? Trying to get approval of who? Maybe it's someone else in their industry or someone else in their field. Maybe it's to feel like they're good enough to their peers or maybe even their family. Leads to crazy behavior. I think about parents, right? Because whether or not any mom wants to actually admit this, y'all, there's a comparison game against moms going on. Amen? I heard one man say amen. So I'm I'm going to preach about it for a second. Here's the deal. Y'all know mom shaming is a real thing. Okay? So... What I mean by that is uh, you can easily look at uh, a mom who works a full-time job, has a career. She's got her kids always show up and they're monograms, right? Perfect little monogram, everything matches. They take their, you know, she, she packed the lunch for their school and the lunch isn't just like, um, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's like organic and kale. It's healthy. It's amazing, right? Her house is always perfect. Right? You, you, see, you see this and you go, I'm not a good mom. Because that's the standard of what a good mom is. Now, I'm not saying that's the standard, but I'm saying that the world would elevate that and go, that's, that's the standard. And so it can create a sense of insecurity. Or maybe as dads, right? You look in and go, hey, that, that dad, how in the world does he do it? He's working a full job. He's always taking his wife on date nights. All the kids love him. They got the, the good family picture. Y'all know what the bad family picture looks like, right? Some of y'all don't have families. 
you, you get the photographer there, you get them all together, you're like, shove and smile. I was like, you know, and they had to go in there, hey, just fix it, make, make the lips come up, you know, like you're telling the photographer, please edit it. Like that's, it's easy to compare ourselves against other people. Why? Because we want people to look at us and go, they got it all together. They're perfect. Listen, I deal with this as a pastor. I am no different than any one of y'all sitting out there. But there's a pressure. Oh, he's got to have it all together. He's got to lead the church, better preach a good sermon, better be a good husband, better be a great dad. Like, life better be perfect for Brandon Bowers. Y'all, life is not perfect all the time. In fact, life is rarely perfect. But I feel this pressure at times to get your approval. What the Bible says is, that's a trap. That's a trap. Because if I look in this room at hundreds of faces, I can't imagine online, had an earlier service, what approval is in different people's eyes is a moving target. You agree? What one person might say is great, another person might go, ah, you're kind of deficient. And, and, and that's a challenge because as we navigate through life, if we constantly try to please every single person, it's, it's literally like tip, tiptoeing around making sure we don't hit a trap. That's what King Solomon's talking about. King Solomon would know this, by the way. He was incredibly wise, incredibly wealthy. He had a ton of wives, the Bible tells us. And the thing that eventually cost him the empire was that he compromised his convictions and what God called him to do to try to appease those women in his old age. It says that he started worshiping their gods and sacrificing to their idols, even built temples for their gods. And God looked then at Solomon and said, how can you possibly... Break the commandment to love me and worship me alone. And he took the kingdom out of Solomon's hands. Here's my reason in saying that. If you move through life constantly worried about what people think about you and trying to measure up to their opinions, you'll never be the person that God called you to be. The two are incompatible. Chasing approval leads to irrational fears of rejection. We also see this in in John chapter 18. Peter, Kevin preached on Peter several weeks ago. Peter was no doubt one of the most faithful disciples Saw Jesus do incredible things. But we see Peter also tried to please different people at different times. This is, this is an encouraging word if you'll hang with me because just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean this desire for approval goes away. Sometimes we go, oh, that's for people that don't know Jesus yet. Y'all, this was his best friend. Peter is, is uh, with Jesus when he's arrested in the garden. The night that Jesus is arrested, the soldiers come and get him. And as soon as he gets arrested, guess what Peter does? Peter whips out a sword and cuts off one of the guard's ears, thinking Jesus would like that. I took care of my boy. What does Jesus do? Peter, come on. Picks the ear up, puts it back on the guard. Literally heals it on the spot. Can you imagine being Peter? Dang, thought that was the right move. Guess it's not. Then Jesus goes into the, 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 the courtyard of the high priest, and Peter's waiting at the door. He doesn't follow Jesus in like John does. He decides to wait out at the gate. And when he's waiting at the gate, what happens? There's a girl that asks him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' associates too? Like, aren't you his friend? And Peter, in an attempt to gain her approval, right? No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not associated with Jesus. I don't know him. Goes to a campfire close by, and another guy asks, no, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that you're one of his associates. You're one of his followers. Peter says, I don't have anything to do with him. And three times he denies Jesus. Why? To self-preserve, to self-protect. He wants to get their approval of him. Because to admit that he followed Jesus... It might cost him something. We'll probably cost him something. Y'all, we do the same thing. We're willing to back off our convictions and back off who God's called us to be so that we are liked or approved by other people. It happens every single day. It's little compromises. 
You may not turn from the faith completely. Yeah, I don't know you, Jesus, I'm out. And I would submit to you that Peter wasn't doing that either. Peter wasn't, Peter wasn't denying the faith altogether. He just made a decision in a moment that he thought would best take care of himself. That's what compromise actually looks like. When we chase people's approval, it leads to irrational fears of rejection. The second thing is this. It leads us to trust people or look to people for God's provisions. When you're chasing people's opinion or their like of you, what you're ultimately doing is saying, I trust them to give me what only God can give me. Let me give you an example of this. Several years ago, I was doing premarital counseling for a couple in my office. Uh, I don't do counseling anymore. I'm not a good counselor. I'm like, what's the issue? Okay, fix this. Oh, you're not willing to fix that? Okay, get out of my office. That's kind of how I roll, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not a great counselor. I, yep, that sounds a little harsh. It's not that harsh. But here, here's my point. I'm doing premarital counseling with this couple. And, and what, what came out in our discussion was this. Every deficiency that was being described by the bride-to-be, he's not doing this for me, he's not saying this to me, he's not spending this time with me. At some, at some level, I was like, so why are you marrying him? <laughs> uh, all the deficiencies, what I began to realize in, in this particular meeting is that she unintentionally was looking at him to be what Jesus is meant to provide. Now, now walk with me here, because I'm not, I'm not coming across, I don't want to sound judgmental, because both spouses can easily do this. But oftentimes it's easy to go into a marriage, and I'll use marriage for this illustration, and um, men to go, hey, I want my wife to, to, to help me feel like I have self-worth, or appreciate when I serve, or say this, or do that, or support this, and it's this pressure that gets put on the, the back of either spouse to somehow bring the validation and worth that really can only be provided through Jesus. Y'all, listen, I'm married to one of the most, ama- the most amazing women, in my opinion, on the planet. She's incredible, loves the Lord, serves the church, incredible mom. But y'all, listen, Ashley will never be able to provide for me what it is that only God can give me, right? Affirmation of who I am, confirmation of my calling, like things that, it's, it's an undue pressure to put on her back to be my Jesus, the only way a relationship's gonna make it, and this is if you're dating right now or engaged right now or you've been married for 25 years, the only way you're gonna be successful in your relationship is if you both, both look to Jesus for what only he can provide and then secondarily support, love, and serve each other. If you put one party in front of the other, listen, man, you put your wife in front of Jesus, she's gonna fail you. She's gonna, and vice versa too. Wives, your husband ain't Jesus, but you already know that. So I... I'm so, let's, let's, let's make sure we keep it in perspective. And while we're on that, since we're talking relationships, there's, there's parents and kids. Far too many parents look at their kids and they think, okay, my value, my affirmation, my self-worth is measured based on my children and their performance or lack of, right? That's why you can, if, you're, if your child's rebelling or not making the decisions that you'd want them to make, you can easily go, God, I'm not... I'm failing, I'm not doing a good job. What's wrong with me? And start asking these questions. Listen, your kid's not your Jesus, right? So, so don't try to look to them. It's an undue amount of pressure and you'll drown your kid in pressure. Here's my, here's my point. We can easily walk through life and if, and if we're looking at people to give us what only God can provide, 
not only do we stress ourselves out, but we put an unhealthy amount of pressure on the people around us. The people of God were doing this in Isaiah. Isaiah, um, God's people were discouraged and they were depressed. In fact, they start complaining and they start saying, look, where is our God? Other countries were looking at him going, I thought God was taking care of you. I thought God was going to bless you. I thought God was going to provide for you. And in Isaiah chapter 51, this is how God responds. And this is really good. He says, I, he, he hears their complaining and he says, I, I'm the one who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies? Of the son of man who is made like grass. Have you forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? He looks at his people and he says, how dare you look at people to give you what only I can give you? Why are you afraid of them? You should have a righteous fear of me. Why are you looking at them to tell you what you should or shouldn't have? Why don't you trust me? This is God's response. I'm the one that provides. I'm the one that gives. And, and this is what I've discovered in my own life, even recently, is that when, when bouts of discouragement come or depression come, because y'all, those, those times are real. Oftentimes, discouragement or depression will bring about a sense of like spiritual dementia in our life where we start to forget what it is that God's done. We start to forget where, where he's brought us from. We start to forget the prayers that we know we prayed and that he answered, right? We get so caught up in, in this moment or this valley that we cannot see the forest for the trees that are right in front of us. What God's saying to his people here is, look, are you in a tough time? You're in a tough time, but don't you forget who I am. And don't you forget that I've got you. That's exactly what he's saying to them. So I say to you, parent or spouse or teenager, if you feel like you're failing, you feel like you're not quite measuring up, you feel like you haven't gotten God's approval, can I just encourage you with something? God's still God. God's still for you. You don't have to earn anything back. He loves you just the same. I can say this as a parent with all certainty on this platform. There's not one thing that my sons or daughters will ever do that will change how much I love them. And when I sing a song, hey, I'm a child of God, what that means is God looks at us and there's not one thing you can do that changes his view of you. He loves you. Because his love's not dependent on anything that you've done anyway. It's dependent on what he's done through his son, Jesus. God says, I'm the one who comforts. I'm the one. Don't worry about people. I think back to, to Peter in that moment at the campfire when he denies Jesus. He just forgot. He forgot. He for, y'all, y'all, know, y'all know everything Peter saw, right? Like if, if you didn't, just pick up the book of Mark. The book of Mark literally is, uh, most scholars believe it was written through the lens of Peter. Imagine Peter unable to write, telling Mark, hey, write this down, write this down, write this down. The gospel of Mark is really, it's really Peter talking. And you read through the book of Mark and you're like, oh my God, Peter got to see all that? He saw miracles before his eyes. He saw the multiplication of the fish and bread. He saw, he experienced walking on water. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Y'all, Peter saw crazy things. And so you go, well, how in the world would he deny Jesus in a moment? Because in a moment, you can forget what it is that God's done. That's the importance, really, of the church community and other believers that are in Christ to remind you, hey, God's got you. Remember what he's done. Remember where you've come from. We have to do that for each other. So moments of depression and discouragement we'll call spiritual dementia. The last thing that chasing approval will do, and I'll leave it here, is it'll create a paranoia and a pressure in life. 
where you just wonder, am, am I making them happy? Am I meeting their expectations? Like you say yes to everything. You don't know anybody that has a calendar that's just like off the charts busy? Like every night of the week, they say yes to everything. They're, they're overcommitted, but under-present, where it's like, I, I don't want to say no to anybody because if I say no, what might happen? They'll think less of me, think I don't have time for them, think I don't have it all together. And so it's saying yes to everything at the expense of the most important things. This paranoia, this pressure, I got to be all things to all people all the time. And y'all, none of us can be on all the time. It's impossible. Peter, and I want to close with this because, yes, he denied Jesus. And we know the story. Jesus went to the cross and he was placed in a tomb. He rose on the third day, praise God. And one of the first people he sees is Peter. Now, could you imagine if, if, if you were Peter? Like, you go, okay, I, all of us, I think, here we go, I want God to like me. Would you agree? Like, I want God to look at me and go, yeah, I like Brandon. I think Peter looked at Jesus and desperately wanted Jesus to like him as a friend, but also as a follower. Jesus rises from the dead, and one of the first people he sees is, is Peter. Peter knew that he had denied Jesus. I don't know that the disciples all knew that he had denied Jesus. In fact, Peter's hanging out with his disciples. And one of the first person that uh, Jesus addresses when he comes back from the dead is Peter, and he rolls up on a beach. The disciples are fishing in John chapter 20. They've just gone back to what they know to do. Peter's out fishing on a boat, and Jesus shows up in John chapter 20 on the beach, and he calls out to the disciples in a boat. Now, get this. Peter's in the boat, and Jesus says, hey, y'all catching anything? And John hears his voice, and John says, hey, Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And y'all, Peter, listen, the one who had let him down, the one who had not met expectation, the one who had failed tremendously, and then he heard about his Savior dying on a cross, this Peter jumps in the water, clothes on, swims 100 yards to shore. That's what John tells us. He swims to the beach, and I can just imagine that moment of embrace. And Jesus makes a breakfast on the beach, and then after breakfast, in John chapter 20, he looks at Peter, and ultimately what he says to Peter is this. Now, keep in mind, Peter has failed him. Peter has not met approval. This would be the equivalent today of like Peter thinking, you know what, Jesus has just blocked me and muted me on Instagram. We are done. I didn't fulfill my part. I let him down. Jesus makes breakfast, and then after breakfast, he looks at Peter in, in John chapter 20, verse 15. And three times, he asked Peter, three times, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter says, yeah, you, you know that I love you. you. Jesus, you know this. In fact, it says Peter got a little frustrated that he asked him a third time. And, and Jesus says, well, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, go shepherd the people. If you love me, go do what I called you to do. In other words, Peter's deficiencies did not change his calling at all. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, look, you keep doing what I called you to do. And I love it in Verse 19, and we got this on the screens. After this conversation, we find, after saying this to him, Jesus' last words right here to Peter, follow me. The very first thing that he called Peter to. Here's why I say this to you. Some of you, at some point in your life, made a decision, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna place my identity in him, but along the way, you feel like 
you've disappointed, God doesn't like you, Jesus is somehow frustrated with you, and what I want you to see is that there is nothing you can do that will make him frustrated or give up on you. He loves you, and he's come for you. And what he's really asking is not, hey, do you know that I love you? Do you love me? Do you, do you, love, do you like me? Because my view of you hasn't changed at all. See, here's what's amazing. Sometimes this need for approval or need to be liked works its way into the church, works its way into our spiritual lives. And we somehow think, um, you know what? I really want God to like me, so I'm gonna go to church every single week. Or I'm gonna go to small group every single week. Or I'm gonna serve, or I'm gonna give. And we, we somehow start to believe if I just do enough, then God will hit that like button. God will hit that heart button. And somehow he'll approve of me. But here's the good news for every single one of us. There's nothing we can do to earn God's approval. You go, wait a minute, that sounds like really good news. There's nothing you can do to earn God's approval of you. We're approved through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, let me read it for us because this is game changing. For, for Christians, some of you have been walking with Jesus for years. Working hard, trying hard, doing more, thinking if I can just do enough, God will love me more. This is what we find in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We're told that for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin and he knew no sin so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the way that we're approved is through the person of Jesus. That word righteousness literally means right standing before a judge. It's a, it's a, a legal term. It means that when you walk in the courtroom, even though you're guilty of sin, when God looks on you and you're a Christian, he sees Jesus. That your approval is found in what Jesus did on the cross. And so it takes the pressure off. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to work any harder. You don't have to wonder, does God like me? God loves you. And he showed it in and through his son, Jesus. And the best place you can be and the best thing you can do is to put your trust and your identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the promise that you love us and that we stand approved in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for making a way for us to be in relationship with you. God, thank you for overcoming the sin penalty on our behalf. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins and raised back to life. I pray, God, for those who are here feeling like they disappoint you. They feel discouraged because they've let you down. God, I pray that you would help them see today. You love them just the same. And you're asking them the same question you asked Peter. Do you love me? God, please take the pressure off of us to perform for you. Help us to know you love us just the way we are. And thank you, Jesus, that you did the work. Thank you, Jesus, that our identity in you is unshakable and immovable. God, I pray that we would rest in that, we'd be encouraged in that, and we'd have confidence as we carry out your calling on our lives. I pray this. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.